This morning we're going to be talking about the goodness of the resurrection, and we're going to keep it that simple. Today we're going to talk about the goodness of the resurrection. We're going to look at seven reasons why the resurrection is so good, and in response why it's always reason for us to be rejoicing. So I want to encourage you with a number of texts, at least seven texts, for the seven reasons that make the resurrection so good and encouraging and gives us reason for rejoicing. So we'll start in Acts chapter 2. So if you have a Bible, you can look at the second chapter of Acts, which is a stunning and startling and phenomenal kind of passage to help us understand the goodness of the resurrection. And the first reason will be because it showcases the eternal decree it showcases the eternal decree. That's what the resurrection does. A decree is something official. A decree is something that is determined. It's an official action. It's something ordained. And what we're going to hear about here and see is that God's eternal decree is Christ being the redeemer who would be crucified, who would be resurrected so that he would be the perfect savior. And we see this as something that is startling, staggering. I would suggest to you that it's more significant than a miracle. Uh, if we're talking about God's eternal decree, it is something that is unparalleled as far as significance, importance, uh, the greatest thing ever, really, ultimately. And so let's begin in Acts chapter 2, uh, and we'll look at verse 23, where the apostle Peter is preaching in light of Christ's resurrection, in light of his death, in light of his ascension. It says in verse 23, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan. There's our decree terminology. According to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. So this is God's definite plan, God's definite purpose. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. Then verse 24, God, the God with the definite plan, with the definite purpose, with the decree, God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. And we have more text to read in Acts 2, but I just can't help but stress how awesome I think those words are and how significant. They're, they're meant to have that gravitas, that significance. That This is God's eternal purpose. This is God's eternal decree. This is uh, how it all unfolded. And we've, we've seen it in time and space and history. This is it. Absolutely amazing. Here this God has a purpose, has a decree, and it's been realized in time and space, experienced in time and space through Christ, crucified, raised, and, it, and that's actually doing something in verse 24. He wasn't just raised to be raised, but loosing the pangs of death. He's, he's defeating death. He's releasing from bondage. Not possible for him to be held by it because he himself was righteous, not a sinner absolutely amazing. But we should keep reading. In verse 25, it says, for David says concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced. My flesh also will dwell in hope. See, there's hope because there's hope in life uh, tied to resurrection. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades, or let your holy one see corruption. See, it's going to be resurrection. Verse 28 says, You have made known to me the paths of life. 
you will make me full of gladness with your presence. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day, being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne. Here we go, verse 31. It's, it's so excellent, so outstanding. He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ. That's what David did. That he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus, God raised up. And, that of, uh, and of that, we are all witnesses. Then verse 33 says, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand. That's our Psalm 110 text that we heard earlier. Until I make your enemies your footstool. He's the reigning, ruling Messiah, the ultimate forever reigning, ruling one. Then verse 36 says, let all the houses of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified greater than a miracle. We could say, sure, we, that's, that's miraculous. The people who are dead become alive. But this is fulfillment of the decree of God, the purposes of God. Ephesians chapter one would, would describe this as, as something that was determined before the foundation of the world. So before time begins, God purposed for this to happen. He decreed for this to happen. And we could look at other texts, we won't for this morning, where we see that the, the triune God planning, decreeing, having this to happen, and it happens. And the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ puts it on display, showcases this great, great reality from God. One more text before we move on is Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11, which is a great complementary text to what we're reading about in, Ephesians, or in Acts 2. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose of God on display in Christ Jesus in time, in our experiences. Peter even says in his sermon that, that, that we have witnessed. It's awe-inspiring. It's amazing. It is good. It is beyond good. It is reason for our rejoicing always. Resurrection. I think a lot of things when I think resurrection, at least seven things, because we have seven points today, but I always want to think the greatest thing ever known, the eternal decree of God, reaching all the way before time begins, the triune God committing himself to have this happen. It's amazing, amazing. Let's move on to another reason that makes the resurrection so good and worthy of our rejoicing and encouragement and hope. Number two, it confirms Jesus. It confirms Jesus, meaning it confirms what he said. Jesus said this was going to happen. 
Jesus wasn't resurrected and then was surprised. Jesus wasn't hoping it was going to happen. Uh, it wasn't a publicity, a publicity stunt. It wasn't a, I hope this is going to happen. No, this was something he said that was going to happen. Of course, it would make sense if it's the eternal decree, by the way. But he said it was going to happen throughout his earthly ministry, and it happens. He's raised from the dead. You could look at John chapter 2 for a, a good text regarding this. You could also look at Luke chapter 9. I'm going to read both of those texts regarding Jesus being confirmed in what he said was going to happen. In Luke 9, verse 22, it says, this is quoting Jesus, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. It must happen, it's going to happen, most certainly it is. Then John chapter two, when Jesus cleanses the temple, he shows such outrage because of all of the hypocrisy and all of the wrongdoings uh, that the temple has turned into this house of shenanigans and corruption. And when he turns the table, tables over, the whip, and you know the scenario, at least many of you do, I'll go ahead and pick it up um, in verse 16 toward the end there. Uh, Take these things away, he says. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Then in response, verse 17 says, his disciples remembered that it was written, zeal for your house will consume me. Then 18 says, so the Jews said to him, they said to Jesus, in light of what he's just said about his father's house, his actions, so the Jews said to him, look there in verse 18, what sign do you show us for, these, for doing these things? Then 19 says, Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. Verse 20 says, the Jews then said, it, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will, will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. Remember, temple is dwelling. The temple is the unique dwelling place of God. And he is not the type and shadow. He's not the, the, the prefiguring. He is the ultimate dwelling of God. He is the temple. And so he's talking about himself. So it says in verse 22, when therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. Resurrection proves Jesus knew what he was doing. What he said was going to happen, happened. He wasn't trying to avoid death. He knew it was going to happen and he knew he was going to be raised and he knew he was going to be raised because he was always doing the Father's will. He had to be raised. We're gonna read that in a little while, but he couldn't stay dead because he never sinned and he always did the right thing. The wages of sin is death. He, he, he knew himself that he was doing the right thing. Mark chapter 16, verse seven says, go and tell his disciples and Peter, that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. And I love the ending of verse seven. Just as he told you. He's the one you should trust. He's the trustworthy one. I would echo those words even to you now. Just as he told you. He makes promises. And his promises, unlike our promises, even sometimes when we really mean it, 
always, always, always are kept. It's encouraging. It's not a gamble. It's not a long shot. It's not a, I hope so. Just as he told you. The resurrection is so good because it confirms his promises. Let's move on to a third reason that makes the resurrection so good and worthy of our rejoicing and comfort and encouragement and hope and all of those good things. Number three, it secures cosmic restoration. It secures cosmic restoration. And what I want to emphasize by that is, and we'll look at Colossians chapter one if you want to go ahead and turn there. What I want to emphasize by that is, not only does he save individuals and reconcile us to God, which is so important and what we're most interested in, quite honestly, but the reality is through Jesus in all that he did, culminating with his resurrection because you can't reconcile things if you're dead, culminating in his resurrection and then ascension is a guarantee, guarantee fact, guaranteed fact that one day at his return, everything will be made right. Everything will be made right. God will once again be able to say as he did before sin, it is good. It is very good. And it's because of the good one, the Lord Jesus Christ, that everything is going to be reconciled. Colossians chapter 1 is the classic text regarding this, restoration for the world at large. Romans chapter 8 is another important text. Uh, you, you know the text, the whole creation is groaning, yearning, waiting. He's speaking figuratively as if the creation can talk. It, it longs to be restored where there's no problems at all whatsoever, and we return to the very good creation, the very good earth. Colossians 1.15, may Christ be exalted as we read these words, and may his people be encouraged today. He is, verse 15, he is, Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, the resurrected one in other words. It's a, it's a resurrection text. That in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Verse 20 says so wonderfully, so climactically, so poignantly. And through him, the resurrected one, the one who is living now, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The, the cosmic restoration of all things can only be done by someone who is not dead but who is living the resurrected, exalted one. Amazing to consider. And as you look at our broken world and as you live your broken life and you see all of these things happening, you say, the resurrected one is the one. It all comes back to him, the great one. 
Number four, another reason why the, rest, uh, why the resurrection is so good and encouraging, it brings freedom. It brings freedom. It brings freedom. We're going to see it brings forgiveness, but we'll just keep it short for it brings freedom. Freedom from condemnation. Freedom from judgment. Freedom from getting what you deserve. Acts 13 is our text. So join me in Acts 13. So we heard from a sermon from Peter in Acts 2, which was profound and grand. And now the Apostle Paul, a sermon in Acts 13, profound and grand. The resurrected one. The resurrected one is the one you need to look to in faith, trusting in him so that you can be free, free from condemnation, free from guilt, free from the the noose around your neck that is sin, free from getting what you deserve. It's a great, great encouragement for us to realize that we love, love, love the resurrection because it gives us freedom. Paul, in light of the resurrection, preaching in verse 26, says these words, brothers, sons of the family of Abraham, and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation, this deliverance, this freedom-giving salvation. Think of it in those terms. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him nor understand the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, They asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had cried out all that was written of him, carried out, not cried out, carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in the tomb. And the plot thickens in verse 30. But God raised him from the dead. So the religious rulers, they did all of these things according to plan and purpose because God is even using sinful secondary means, sinners to accomplish his purposes. And when all of that happened, then it's but God. Contrary to what they were doing, contrary to the no good they were up to, God according to his word, according to his revelation, consistent with the whole thing, then but God raised him from the dead. Which makes sense in light of the fact that he was innocent. 31 says, and for many days he appeared to those who had come up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. 32, it thickens even more. And we bring you the good news that what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children. How? By raising Jesus. As also it is written in the second Psalm, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's a resurrection text. He is the one that brings freedom. And we're gonna see the freedom as we work our way toward the end. Let's keep going in verse 34. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, No more to return to corruption. He has spoken in this way. I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. 
Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Again, resurrection psalm. 36 says, for David, after he had served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. So it couldn't have been him. 37 says, but he whom God raised up did not see corruption. He's the one. He's the ultimate king, the ultimate deliverer, the ultimate Messiah who will give us freedom. Here's the freedom part. Here's the part you've been waiting for. Verse 38 says, this is three stars in my notes. Let it be known to you, therefore, he's connecting dots. Here's the take home. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man, talking about Jesus, the resurrected one, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes or trusts, places their, places their confidence in, is freed. Is freed. There's our freedom. Is freed from everything from which you could not be freed. By the law of Moses. You might even see in your margin, it uses the word that's otherwise translated justified. Freed and freed, justified and justified. It's such a tremendous text and reality for sinners to hear. And everyone who is hearing this right now is a sinner apart from God who's watching from above and by the power of the Spirit freedom so that guilt is taken away because of what Christ has done. Not only that, you're given this freedom, freedom from condemnation. See, under the law on our own, whether we're under the Mosaic law or the law in general, so that would include everyone, there is no freedom. It's only condemnation because we're all united to Adam. It's bad news. It's no forgiveness and it's condemnation, and yet what do we have in Christ? We have forgiveness, and we also have justification. We, we, all, we also have freedom. God accepts us freely in his son, Jesus, and it only happens through the one who is resurrected. And the reason he's resurrected, again, I'll emphasize it again in case you missed it earlier. He's resurrected because he couldn't stay dead, because not only did he never sin, he always did the right thing. It's impossible for Jesus to stay dead. That's why he spoke with such confidence through his whole life. He knew eternal decree, yes. He also knew he was always about doing the Father's will. So he can't stay dead. That's why he spoke with such confidence. And I would encourage you, that's why we would speak with such confidence about Jesus. We would say, we're trusting in him and we have confidence because if we're united to him by faith and he couldn't stay dead, that means we can't stay dead either. That's why the resurrection is so good. That's why we love Christ. That's why we're happy even in the, in the midst of sadness. We could also look at freedom from sin's power in Romans 6. We won't take the time to go ahead and turn there, but there's also freedom from the power of sin, not just um, freedom from guilt and our standing before God. Romans chapter 7 is another good complementary text, freedom to do the right thing. Listen to what Romans chapter 7 says in verse Four. Likewise, brothers, you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, 
to him who has been raised from the dead. Here's the punchline. In order that we may bear fruit for God. So there's freedom in another sense. So in the temporal, in the here and now, because we've been united to Christ by faith and we've been raised, now we have freedom to bear fruit for God. Fruit of the Spirit kind of talk elsewhere. Let's do the right thing now out of gratitude unto him because we're set free in Christ because we've been raised with him unto newness of life. And that even influences the here and now. Now let's move on to number five, a fifth reason that makes the resurrection so good and cherished by us. It assures justice. It assures justice. I have two texts. I need to decide which one we're going to go to. Well, you have nowhere to be. <laughs> Some of you have places to be. I have places to be. Let, let, let's, let's think in terms of John chapter 5 and also Acts 17 are the two texts. Jesus raised from the dead guarantees justice. And we've already kind of hinted at some of these things in other texts. But Jesus raised from the dead guarantees that the one who the Father has appointed to be the judge at the end of days is going to be able to judge because dead judges can't do anything. He's a living, resurrected, ascended judge. And so when you long for bad people who've done horrific things to be held to account, you need Jesus, the resurrected judge. You might not put those pieces together. You may have never formulated it that way in your thinking. But that longing and that desire for, for reckoning, let's use that word, can only actually be fulfilled and be a reality if Jesus is raised from the dead. Acts 17 verse 31 says, because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. That's not good news, that's not the gospel, but it's good and it's right. It would be why you would want to trust in Christ so you don't get what you deserve. But we should also know that when horrific things happen, there is an answer. There is an answer. It means I don't have to take justice into my own hands. It means you don't have to take justice into your own hands. One day, and even if our court system did, uh, addressed the situation with a certain amount of justice, which we're thankful for, there's actually an ultimate reckoning before God the judge, God none other than the Lord Jesus Christ the judge. John chapter 5 would talk about this as well. But let's move on now. Let's move on now to number 6. A sixth of seven reasons why the resurrection is good and cause for our rejoicing even in the here and now. It distinguishes hope from wishful thinking. It distinguishes hope from wishful thinking. Or it, it shows a difference between genuine biblical hope and I hope so. The resurrection makes a huge distinction between the two. 
And I realize lots of people think Christians are I hope so kinds of people. Lots of people think that's what Christianity actually promotes. And the reality is, and you, you might even be that kind of person, watching, listening, hearing, witnessing. Christianity, in no uncertain terms, in no uncertain terms, doesn't equate hope with I hope so. And the reason for that is very vivid and very clear. The reason we have hope meaning confidence equated with assurance, even though it's related to the future, is because of the resurrection of Jesus. So if Jesus would have said all of these things like destroy this temple and in three days I'll raise it up again and he were in the tomb and stayed in the tomb and rotted in the tomb, then hope would be I hope so. Hope would be blind faith. Hope would be whatever you might think of in those terms. It's not. Empty tomb resurrection before eyewitnesses and earwitnesses means hope in Christ is an assurance of a reality that's in the future. 1 Corinthians 15, Romans chapter 8 would be two great texts that would help us in these terms. But there are others when the Bible describes Christ as the first fruits. He's just the beginning. He's the first one to conquer. He's the first one to be raised. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, but in fact, oh, but in I hope so, Christianity, Easter bunnies. No, but in fact, the Apostle Paul's not speaking in I hope so in your heart, but not in reality. But in fact, Messiah, Christ, has been raised. So historical reality. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, comma, important, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. That's good news. It's great news. And the reason he says fallen asleep, the, the euphemism, the kind of softer way of saying died is because they're trusting in Christ and so therefore even though death happens and death is bad, it's equated with sleep because when you're sleeping, most of the time, ordinarily when you're sleeping you wake up to live. So but in fact because Christ is raised, and oh by the way, because Christ is raised not just for himself but as the perfect representative in fact, first fruits. So tremendously encouraging to go, yeah, that's right. Changes everything. It, 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 it takes authentic Christianity and sets it apart distinctively from every religion ever known to humanity. Empty tomb resurrection. Good rejoicing. Romans chapter 8 verse 11 says, If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, and it does if you're trusting in Christ, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also, will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. That's, that's saying the same thing, and it's wonderful, it's great. Verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Same emphasis. Romans 8.23, 
We ourselves who have the first fruits, same kind of verbiage of the Spirit, grown inwardly, right? There's pain in the here and now as we wait eagerly. You could use the word hopefully because it's confidence about the future. We wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. His body was raised, ours will be raised as well. And remember, Romans 8 is in the context of suffering. So as you see, as you experience, as you struggle with, suffer, 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 suffer. This is not heaven. This isn't the best life. No. First fruits. Hope is not I hope so. Hope is confidence in a resurrected, resurrected Christ. And then finally, let's go to a seventh reason why the resurrection is good. Surely there are more reasons, but let's go for seven this morning. And that is because it is the only cure for your death problem. It is the only cure for your death problem. I know it's an inconvenient truth. I know it doesn't encourage us. But the reality is, sooner or Later, you're not going to pass away. Sooner or later, you are going to breathe your last breath and you are going to die. You're going to die. It's not progress. It's not survival of the fittest and you lose. Death is bad. Death is an enemy. Death is something that is negative. Sooner or later, you're going to die. You need a Savior who is not dead. You don't need a false religion in your life. You need a resurrected Savior who is bodily, historically, actually, before eyewitnesses, raised from the dead, who promised great promises for those who will trust in him. It's the only cure for your death problem. Listen to these great words. You may want to turn there. I would encourage you to see them for yourself. I would encourage you, if you're looking to really be encouraged, um, to, to look at all of the 11th chapter of John. Uh, I was about this close to preaching through John 11 this morning. Maybe we'll do that next year uh, or another time. But John 11 has some of the most wonderful, encouraging words that you'll ever hear in your whole life regarding life, death, and Christ. In verse 25 of John 11, Jesus says, and he says to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, I want to stop there and say that, that, that sounds really good. It sounds really good. It even sounds better when you say, okay, then what does he say next to explain it? I am the resurrection and the life. Then he says, whoever believes in me, that is trusts, has faith in, depends upon, whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. It's what makes the resurrection so good. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Though you die, if you're trusting in him, you will live. That's good news. It's great news. It's the best news. 
It's what makes Christianity Christianity. It's why we celebrate resurrection. It's good news. We have death all around us all of the time. We have death around us right now like we have not seen around us. What I would encourage you with is when you hear about death and suffering, I would encourage you, I, I hope God mercifully causes this to happen in your life. It's an act of mercy for you to see all of this because it can remind you, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And that's God's grace and God's mercy. Seeing it right there before your very eyes like you've never seen before. We used to put cemeteries outside of churches. That would have been pretty sobering. It's a reminder, I'm going to die, I'm going to die, I'm going to die. Now we try to do everything we can to isolate ourselves from any of it. But right now, God's mercy says to you day in and day out, there's gonna be a lot of death. Our president keeps saying it, there's gonna be a lot of death. There's gonna be a lot of death. The resurrection is your hope because sooner or later you breathe your last breath. If you think I've been impolite or um, overstepped my boundaries today by bringing this up, I'm trying to be Christ-like. Trying to be Christ-like. In Luke chapter 13, Jesus talks about natural disasters, okay? Talks about calamities. And he makes the point with those who are listening to him, he says, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. He uses it to make the point. So as we hear about bad, 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 may it be God's mercy in your life. You're gonna die too. You're gonna die too. You're gonna die too. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he shall live. May you trust in Christ because he and he alone guarantees resurrection by his resurrection.